Good morning. Good to see you all this morning. We're going to be picking up in Revelation chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 1. Uh, so I encourage you to open your Bibles if you have one. If you don't, there should be one in one of the chairs in front of you. Revelation 8. We've been going through a series through the book of Revelation. And, you know, as I've studied this, I've been really encouraged. One of the other things I've noticed is that there's so much here. There's so much here. There's so many uh, allusions to the Old Testament and throughout Scripture that it's, you, you can't put it all in a sermon. So I would encourage you, as you hear these sermons from the book of Revelation that, like the Bereans in the book of Acts, that you'd go home and that you'd dig in and, and, and unearth all of the treasures that you can find yourself, because uh, we can't do justice to it all in 30 minutes. But I, I pray the Lord will use preaching of His Word this morning for His glory and the building up of His church. Let's read the book of Revelation, chapter 8, verse 1 through 5. Speaking of Jesus, the Lamb of God, Apostle John writes this, When He opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, And hurled it to the earth, and there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we come before you this morning. What a blessing it is to be reminded of the great salvation you have accomplished on behalf of your creation, on behalf of your people. Lord, we thank you that you, in your mercy and compassion, demonstrated your great love in sending your son Jesus from heaven to earth, the eternal word of God, for us to take upon flesh, to live among us, his very creation, to live the perfect life in humility and to be willing to die for us, to pay for all of our sins. We thank you. Father, for sending your Son. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your power as you defeated death. And we praise you, Lord Jesus, as you, as you are the ruling and reigning King of the universe, seated at the right hand of the Father. We look forward to the day, Lord Jesus, that you will come one day. Lord, I pray now that as we enter your word and, and, and explore it, that you would help us to understand it. As I was wrestling with the text and wrestling with the future judgment to come, I admit that I don't feel a lot of suffering. I don't closely associate with those who have been martyred, with those who have been mistreated for your namesake. But God, we know that there are many around the world who are suffering, who are mistreated, whose family members have been martyred, who all are crying out day and night, how long, O Lord? until you come and make right all the wrongs of this world. 
Lord, we listen to the news and we can get a glimpse of the suffering and the injustice and the brokenness of this world with mass shootings, uh, with war, with drugs, with violence, with domestic abuse, with conflict. All these things are a taste of the sin that is all around us that has infected your world. So, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that you would give us a heart that longs for heaven, that longs for your justice and your salvation. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would work now through your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. As I was thinking about this passage, I thought about... uh, the silence in heaven, and I was trying to think of how does this connect to life? Well, I was thinking about my own family life. Most of the time, as we've been reading, heaven is loud. Uh, and as I think about my house, my house is loud. <laughs> Almost too loud sometimes. We have seven people squeezed into a house and one young and energetic dog. And so there seems to be a constant cacophony of noise coming from every nook and cranny of our house. Our kids are talking, they're shouting, they're playing the sports in the house after we've told them not to. Our dog is barking, the sound of electronic devices, music playing, timers going off, sound of the piano, the flute, the violin is being played and practiced. So during the day, silence is rare. It's not common. And and let's say that the house is loud and you're going about the business but then all of a sudden, it gets quiet. Sometimes that happens, and me and Steph might be in the kitchen, and we're, we're doing something, and it gets quiet. It's like, okay, something's wrong. <laughs> so what, what are our kids getting into right now? Or what is our dog eating that he shouldn't be eating? Uh, so silence sometimes is, uh, is, is startling. Other times in our home, we have silence like when we sleep. Uh, but there's also times where we have intentional silence, like before we eat a meal. So we are all loud, and we're getting our food, and we're having everybody try to wait and stop eating. Don't do that yet. Hold on. And we're talking, and then it's, we go to pray, and they're all quiet for maybe a split second, and then someone prays. I think about that um, in our lives. Many of us are probably uh, used to the constant background noise. We have this noise coming, and sometimes we even have apps on our phone that has white noise Uh, or different types of noise, but when all the noise stops, let's say the power goes out and it's quiet, it can be kind of startling. Have you ever felt that before? You're like, whoa, this is really quiet. Sometimes in our culture, we use silence to, uh, to help us to think about important moments of the past. We have a moment of silence, and we use those times to pause and to reflect and to pray or to remember. Sometimes after a national disaster or like a memorial service, everything stops. It just stops. And we're called as a small group or maybe even as a whole nation to say, let's, let's observe this moment of silence. Well, in our text today, John describes something similar to this, a moment of silence in heaven for about half an hour. This moment of silence, kind of like we experience in life, it alerts us to something that 
is happening or something big that is going to happen. And in our text here, we see that Jesus, the Lamb of God, is about to open the seventh seal of the scroll. And when he does that, it's going to bring judgment upon the wicked and salvation to his people. So let's dig into our text to see what John saw regarding what must soon take place. Let's look here at Revelation 8, 1 together. When he, as we mentioned earlier, Jesus, the Lamb of God from chapter 5 of Revelation, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So first here we have the seventh seal is opened and all of heaven is silent. So as we get back into this section of the text, let's get our bearings. Where is this vision? Where is John? What is he, where is he seeing this at? Well, we see here that his vantage point is heaven. You know, if we're going to backtrack into Revelation starting back to first, or chapter 4, chapters 4 through 5, we saw the Lord Almighty seated on His throne. And in that vision, He was surrounded by four living beings that were magnificent, and 24 elders circled the throne. And then we learned about myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands of angels who were all around the throne. And then we learned about this multitude of saints that had, had, were coming out of the great tribulation. And all of these beings, these beings that God had created, were surrounding the throne. And they were praising God and praising Jesus, the Lamb of God. And so we see that in Revelation chapters 4 through 7, heaven is loud. I mean, it was kind of loud in here this morning as we sang, but imagine the scene in heaven, the volume of the voices praising, holy, 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 worthy are you to receive honor and glory and thanks constantly without end in heaven. As we keep moving, chapter 5, Jesus was given a scroll and he was found worthy to open it because he is the creator of the universe. He made it and it was made for him. And not only that, he came to the earth. He lived, he died, he rose again to save his creation. And now he, has, he is in heaven ruling. And so Jesus is worthy to receive the scroll. And uh, you might remember that Pastor Justin, a few weeks back, he used a really fancy um, a prop. He had a scroll like this. Remember that? So what Jesus received was like a scroll. And that scroll contains the prophecy of what will happen during the final events of human history. And the scroll that Jesus received was like the title deed of the earth. And on this scroll was written, is written, God's plan and promises to judge sin, to redeem his people, and to accomplish all of his good purposes. Now, as we move through chapter 6, uh, we saw that Jesus opened the first six seals of the scroll. The seal would be like a little wax uh, thing would be melted on there. So the six seals were opened, so he like peels the first one, and then he peels the second, peels the third, peels the fourth, fifth, and sixth. All those seals were previewing the judgment of the wrath of God that was to come. Then in chapter 7, there's a little bit left on the scroll. There was a pause or an interlude. And in this pause of, of judgment, 
We saw that there was 144,000 saints sealed from every tribe of Israel. And not only that, there was a great multitude of saints from every tribe, tongue, and nation who had come out of the great tribulation. And they were around the throne of God and they were worshiping alongside the living creatures and the 24 elders and the angels. But now we get to chapter 8. And John describes what he saw as Jesus opened the seventh seal of the scroll. Up to this point, there's been this loud praise in heaven, loud voices of creatures, multitude of angels, the greatness of God being proclaimed. But then when that seventh seal was opened, there is silence. The silence was for about a half an hour. As I was reading this, I just had to pause and think, why does John John describe this as about a half an hour? Isn't that interesting? I just thought that was interesting. Half an hour. So is this literal or is this figurative? You know, sometimes as as we read the book of Revelation, John uses the word hour as a more figurative usage. Uh, example of Revelation 3.10, he tells the church in Philadelphia, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell upon the earth. So there, the word hour seems like this moment of time, not like a real hour, not a specific 60 minutes, but like a period of time. On the other hand, in Revelation 9.15, John writes, the four angels who had been prepared for the hour the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. This use of the word hour seems to be more specific, like a literal 60-minute period of time. So how do we understand this half an hour here? Well, I think the best way to understand it as I come to it is I think what John is describing is, is, is how he is experiencing how the time felt. seems like he felt it was about a half an hour. So I think that's how we're going to hold it. About half an hour, so about the length of the sermon. That's about how long it felt to John. So can you imagine that? So John is caught up into heaven, and he's seeing this magnificent worship. Maybe he's making his eardrums about to burst. But then silence for half an hour. Many of you can't handle silence for like a few seconds. I can't hardly either sometimes. But half an hour. So what does this silence mean? One way we can understand this, as we scan the pages of the Old Testament, God calls His people to be silent when He is about to judge or to save. Here's a few examples. Exodus 14, 14, this is what God says, the Lord will fight for you, and you only have to be silent. He's like, just watch and see what I'm going to do, and you can be silent. Habakkuk 2.20, but the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. Zephaniah 1.7, be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Here, as the scroll is unrolled and the seven seals broken, all of heaven falls silent because they know that the day of the Lord is at hand. The all-powerful judge of the earth is about to drop the hammer. And judgment is about to fall on all who have rebelled against King Jesus. As I was thinking about this silence, there's been a few times in my life where I have had the opportunity to sit in a courtroom and just to observe uh, the judge 
as he is sentencing those who have been convicted of a crime. And to be honest, those are not happy moments. Those are not happy moments. They're usually really sad. They're very sad and they're quite sobering as you're sitting there and you're realizing this person's life is in the hands of the judge. The courtroom, after the charges have been read, the judge sits in his black robe and he considers his verdict. In that moment, as you wait for the judge to give his sentence, it's the silence. There's no commotion. There's no laughing. There's no, yay. No, it's like, what is he going to say? This might be a shadow of what is happening in heaven. As God, the judge, the righteous judge on the throne, has the gavel in his hand. As the saints and the angels realize what is about to happen, they stand in awe. They stand in awe as God prepares to execute, execute justice and bring the history of the world to a close. And if you think about it on, he- on, on earth, that's in heaven, but on earth, those of us living on earth it may have appeared that the day of judgment would never come. Or maybe some would say, it doesn't even seem like God even exists. Or maybe if He exists, He doesn't even care. Like 2 Peter 2, 3 through 4 says, scoffers will come in the last days. They will be scoffing. They will be following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is this promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of the creation. And we might be tempted to feel the same way. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, like, is God really going to ever judge You might feel like, I can live however I like. I can do whatever I want. I can keep rejecting Jesus. He's never going to judge. My friends, don't listen to the scoffers. Don't listen to the scoffers. Instead, believe the Word of God. Apostle Peter says, it might seem like God is slow. But he says this. He says, don't overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow to fill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient. He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. The patience of God shows He doesn't want any to perish, but that all should reach repentance. But he says, Peter says, the day of the Lord, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. God's promises are that he will one day bring this judgment. This is real. Jesus will return. The question that is before us today is, are we ready? Are you ready? And if you are not friends with Jesus today, if, as we sang, what a friend we have in Jesus, if, if you, from your heart, can't say, yeah, Jesus is my friend, and I am a friend of Jesus, what is holding you back? What is holding you back? Today, forgiveness, grace, reconciliation, and salvation are available to you. 
God the judge stands ready to forgive all of your sins. His hands are held out saying, come, receive the work of my son Jesus that was accomplished for you on the cross. He's calling to us, will you receive the pardon? Will you receive the judge's pardon? Today is the day. Well, as we continue studying in our passage here in, eight, in Romans, or Revelation 8.2, John describes what happens during this silence as he sets the scene for the coming judgment. And he describes his first preparation for judgment in verse 2. Let's look at that. Verse 2. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. So we have first seven angels given seven trumpets. So to prepare for the coming judgments, we'll see starting next week in verse 7, these seven angels that stand before God are given trumpets. So first off, who are these angels? Uh, You know, in this text, we are not told a whole lot about them, except that they stand before God. And since they stand before God, many theologians and commentators believe that these guys, these angels are high-ranking angels. Uh, They might call them an archangel. In other part of the Bible, we learn about two angels that might be in this category that stand before God. Michael, who has, is referenced multiple times throughout the Bible, for example, once in Jude 1.9, and Gabriel, who specifically says, uh, if you remember, we talked about it at Christmas, uh, Zechariah, he, when he was a priest, it was the hour of incense, they were burning incense, he went into the temple um, while they were praying, and uh, the angel Gabriel showed up and said, your, your prayers have been heard and answered. And Zechariah's like, how can I believe that this is going to happen? He's like, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> you can believe me. Anyways, so Gabriel may be one of these angels. That's in Luke 1.19. Also, in Jewish tradition, there were seven archangels that they believed. Maybe these are the seven archangels. But whoever these seven are, God entrusts these mighty angels with the duty to carry out the mission of divine judgment upon the earth. And why are they given trumpets? Well, through the Bible, um, trumpets, which is you know, it's interesting, a musical instrument, trumpets are used to proclaim important events. But it seems in this context, the trumpets will signal the end time destruction and judgment in connection to the day of the Lord and salvation like we, sa- we sung, the trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. The Lord says to the prophet Joel in chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says, Below the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was in ancient times, nor ever will be in ages to come. There might also be a connection with these seven angels with the trumpets of the battle of Jericho. You guys might remember that that story in Joshua chapter 6. It's interesting. God told Joshua to have the seven priests get seven trumpets and march in the front of the army around the city seven times on the seventh day to blow the trumpet on the seventh time around. And when they blew the trumpet and they shouted, what would happen? 
walls would fall down. God would give judgment upon Jericho, salvation to his people, and salvation to those in Jericho who trusted him, like Rahab the prostitute and her family. Similarly, here, when the angels blow their trumpets, this devastating judgment will, become, will come upon the enemies of God. And salvation will come to those who trust in God. And I don't know about you, but as I'm reading Revelation and I read the, seven, the six seals and I get to the seventh seal, it feels like, okay, it should be done. This should be the end. But as we realize, we're not at the end yet. After the seventh seal, in the seventh seal, we have seven trumpet judgments. I think we can understand this is not God's slowness, but God's patience. The end doesn't come just yet. God gives people more alarms, more calls, repent, believe. I will have mercy on you. As we move through our text, John continues to tell us what he sees during this moment of silence. Let's read Revelation 8, 3 and 4. Another angel who had a golden censer came, and he stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. So the second part of this preparation before judgment, we see God's prayers, the the prayers of God's people rise up before Him. So we mentioned earlier in in the message here that silence is often used to show that God is about to act in judgment or salvation. But there is also another meaning that might be associated with the silence. The silence of the seventh seal being opened could be heaven's response to the prayers of God's people. You know, in the Old Testament, as I was studying this, uh, the priestly sacrifices were made in silence. And in, in Jewish tradition, it was believed that during the hour that the incense was offered in the temple and the prayers of the people went up, it was believed that the angels in heaven would be silent, would be silent so that God would give special attention to the prayers of His people. This is really interesting. Imagine, imagine that idea that as God's people prayed, all of heaven stopped and God listens. In the other parts of the Bible, incense is also associated with prayer. So David in Psalm 141 verses 1 and 2 cries out to God saying, I call to you, Lord, come quickly when... You uh, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. In Revelation 5, 6, it specifically says the bowls of incense represent the prayers of the saints. So, as we are in this passage, this angel comes and he offers this big pile of incense mixed with the prayers of all God's people. And as he does this, this paints a picture in our mind of our prayers. When we pray, rising up to the throne of God, 
surrounding the heavenly temple with smoke. And that is a pleasing aroma to God as He smells it, as He hears our prayers, as they come before Him. Now, I love this. I personally love this imagery. As I was studying this text this week, I was like, ah, I, I like this. Personally, I have a hard time praying, and one of my challenges is I'm distracted easily, as some of you may know. But as I thought about this kind of concrete idea of my prayers being like smoke going up, rising, I could see it coming up and filling the heavenly temple, and God smelling that pleasing aroma, it's just like, I want to pray more. <laughs> I, want to, I want to let the incense rise. I want Him to smell. I want to be pleased. This is great. And, you know, these prayers, what kind of prayers are these that, that God is, in a way, smelling and hearing? These prayers the, the angel offers from his people are his people saying, God, may your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These are the prayers of those suffering under the weight of this broken and messed up world, crying out to Him day and night, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? These are the prayers of His people who are mistreated, who are martyred, who are pleading, and family members have been martyred, pleading for justice. Lord, please bring justice. So as you pray, keep praying. Let this picture of our prayers mixed with incense remind you to let your prayers constantly rise up to the Lord, to His throne room, because it pleases you when you pray, and He hears you when we pray. As we move to the last part of this moment of silence, we'll see that God not only hears His prayers, as we just noticed, He hears them, and it's like a pleasing aroma. He also responds. Look with me at our last verse, Revelation 8, 5. Then the angel took the censer, this is like a, a bowl, filled it with fire from the altar, and he hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Here we see that God responds to the prayers of His people. God responds to the prayers of His people. This apocalyptic imagery shows us that the punishment and devastation in the end comes directly associated with the prayers of God's people. It's connected. Our prayers are what brings His kingdom come. The angel who offered our prayers in worship to God now fills the same bowl from the same altar in heaven, and now he throws it to the earth in justice to bring judgment. This imagery of the fire being flung from heaven is, is much like what God literally did to Sodom and Gomorrah. You think about these things, we're like, is this really going to happen? Well, I don't know, but it really did happen to them. He, he rained down fire and sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah when the, in their wickedness. It's also similar to the seventh plague in Egypt where He caused hail and fire to fall from heaven on Egypt to show that all their gods were fake, to call them to trust in the one true God and to save His people from their oppression. 
In both stories, God rescued his people from the wicked and oppressive place they lived, while at the same time bringing real fiery judgment upon those who were persecuting them and in opposition to God. So as these trumpet judgments are about to be unleashed, these thunders, lightning, peals of thunder, thunder, and this earthquake is happening. It's just, you get the picture in your mind. It's a scary sight that is about to happen. God is about to bring judgment upon the whole universe. As I was thinking about this, uh, according to meteorologists and those who have experienced a tornado, maybe you've experienced one before in your life, it's reported that there's often a moment of silence and stillness that happens before the tornado hits. One website I was reading said there are several atmospheric warning signs that precipitate a tornado's arrival. A dark, often greenish sky. Also, before a tornado strikes, the wind may die down and the air become very still. And then, a loud roar, similar to a freight train, may be heard. Revelation 8, 1 through 5 is the calm before the tornado. This is the calm before the storm of God's wrath that is coming upon all those who are rejecting King Jesus. And starting in verse 7 next week, we will hear the freight train coming. As we're contrasting that, though, with today, we may not hear it. We may be in the silence. It doesn't feel like anything's happening. You may wonder, God, why are you taking so long? Jesus, are you going to return? How long, or maybe, God, how long does this suffering have to last? Remember, friends, he is patient, but he is not slow. He is patient, but he is not slow. Today, God is holding out his arms wide open. Come, come unto me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. I will, give you, I will give you forgiveness. I will give you salvation. I will give you reconciliation. I will give you friendship because of His grace. But His patience will not last forever. Soon the day of the Lord will come. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, while people are celebrating, saying there's peace and security, even then sudden destruction will come upon them and they will not escape. But for us who trust in Jesus, we don't have to be afraid. We can believe God will judge, yet not be afraid, as 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says. Why don't we have to be afraid? Because God promises us, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus. We are not destined to wrath, but salvation. So you can trust God when you suffer and and are mistreated. Cry out to Him when you experience pain in your life. He will hear your prayers. And since He will judge, He will judge, you can forgive. You can forgive those who mistreat you. All right, let's close with this. Jesus told us in Luke 18, 7 through 8, he says this as, a, as the end of one of his parables. 
asks a question. And will not God bring about justice for His chosen ones who cry out to Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I tell you, He will see that they get justice and quickly. However, will when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? May our trust in Christ continue to grow as we look forward to His return and we cry out to Him in faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before You and it is honestly kind of hard to wrestle with this. Often my personal life, I don't feel mistreatment, I don't feel the brokenness, I don't often cry out, how long, O oh Lord? I pray, Lord, that you give us a greater anticipation for your coming, a greater trust in you. Lord, I pray for those of my friends here that may be suffering, uh, either through health issues or emotional challenges or mistreatment from others, that you would give us more trust in you. Give us endurance and patience as we eagerly await you, O oh God, to make all things right. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that your spirit would apply it to our lives. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.